On this week's episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast, we review the good and bad from the Celtics West Coast swing, break down potential trade targets for Danny Ainge, plus is Kemba Walker a small problem in the Celtics big three? and welcome to another episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast. I'm Dakota Randall alongside Adam London. Uh, another week, unfortunately, without Alex Francisco in the fold as, uh, you know, we'll hope to get her back in a couple weeks. But for now, it's just Adam and I steering the ship. Adam, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, this time time of year, you know, we kind of typically forget about basketball with uh, the Super Bowl going on. But there was, in fact, basketball played. It was kind of a, a mixed bag for the seas specifically. So plenty to talk about. Yeah, and you know the hope now is now that the football is out of the way and uh, baseball is still a little bit away that you know, the focus can sort of be on the Celtics and the Bruins and you know hockey and basketball to take center stage and uh, you know I think a lot of people are going to start focusing on the Celtics because they're a good team uh, but they have been struggling a little bit they've lost four of six and now twelve and ten good for fourth in the East and as you mentioned kind of a mixed bag since the last episode uh, they're on that five game West Coast road trip um, they started out. With, the, with a win over the Warriors, then a loss to the Kings. Uh, then they had a, a really good, thrilling win over the Clippers on Friday, but followed that up with a dud, a loss to the Suns. Um, again, Celtics banged up right now, a lot of injuries. So you can understand uh, some of these losses, but still some, some concerning things, some positives. Um, Adam, what about you? Give me your positives so far. So last episode, we were talking about um, what would be a positive just as a whole for the West Coast trip. And as far as like, you know, which games they would win and what kind of record we wanted to see. One game I was not expecting them to win was that game against the Clippers. I know we, you know, they were out with without Paul George, but, you know, still a win is a win. And the reason I thought it was so encouraging was that it was the exact type of win you would want to see with the Celtics, especially when you consider that Jalen Brown was out. Like your best player played the best. Tatum had 34 points. Kemba played awesome, 24 points. And, you know, it was a little shaky towards the end and they pulled it out on the road, you know, and they showed a lot of fight. And that's just obviously something you want to see a team with, you know, aspirations for a deep playoff run. Yeah, we have pretty similar positives this week. I think for me, it was the way they won that game against the Clippers. Um, really since since the bubble, um, before, before the bubble, before the season pause last season, I think you, while the Celtics would have tough fourth quarters, they more often than not seem to come up with these big, come from behind, you know, gritty wins uh, when it looked like they were going to be out. But for some reason, since the start of the bubble um, and, and into this season, it feels like if, if, if it starts going the other way uh, in some of these games, especially against good teams, the Celtics haven't been able to, to dig out of it and pull those out. So I thought it was really a good sign that they were able to beat a good Clippers team. Again, Paul George didn't play, but neither did Jalen Brown. So it kind of equals out. Clippers still a really good team. And the Celtics got down big in the first quarter by like, I don't know, like 12, 14 points, whatever it was. Then they, you know, took the lead in the fourth and it looked like they might coast to a victory, but then the Clippers came right back, had the lead with under a minute left. And typically lately, it feels like that's when the Celtics have sort of had a, a couple ugly possessions in a row and it snowballs and they don't get out of it. Now they almost, it almost did happen that same way because Tatum turned the ball over twice in a row, but on one of them, he got it right back. Kemba made that big step back jump shot for them to take the lead. So I'm with you the way they won that, they won that game gutsy without Brown, without Marcus Smart, against a good team on the road, kind of going into it felt like a scheduled loss. 
Um, I thought it was really encouraging. Just what you want to see from them. Probably the best win of the season. Um, so that was really good. And uh, yeah, and I, I'd also add for my positives for number two, um, that Peyton Pritchard has looked good since coming back from his injury. Um, doesn't look like he has any ill effects from that so far. Picked up right where he left off. Uh, and so that also is very encouraging. Uh, what about your negatives? What, what, what are you down on this week, Adam? So pretty much just as a whole, I thought the game, the loss to the Suns was very discouraging. It was, you know, a really bad shooting performance. And I think if you had gone into their road trip and said they lost to the Suns, I don't think any Celtics fan would be surprised. Because even before the Suns, you know, got Chris Paul and, you know, became this much more well-rounded team, uh, the Seas have, whatever, for whatever reason, had issues with Phoenix. And, I mean, a lot of that has to do with Devin Booker. But yeah, they, they, they cannot stop Devin Booker. For whatever. So I think that's what made it so discouraging for me was that it wasn't, you know, a game where Booker just went off. He had 18 points. They limited to the Suns as a team to 100 points. So that's a game you think the Celtics should win. I mean, the Phoenix is such like an offensively gifted team. To limit them to that number, that's a game you got to come out on top of. Even without Jalen Brown, you'd have another, you know, you should have enough offense there. Another thing I, you know, kind of thought maybe exposed um, the Celtics in that game was that Phoenix played in a way that I think a lot of teams could find success against the Celtics with, which is they really slowed it down. They took the shot clock down because the Celtics typically will win these track meet games. Definitely. They're, you know, like Tatum and Brown are such like so gifted going to the basket, you know, pulling up, whatever. Phoenix was much more methodical with the offense, you know, took good shots. And I think that could be the blueprint that could give the Celtics trouble, you know, is taking it deep, you know, not rushing shots because the Celtics will make you pay if you, you know, if they're able to pick up the pace. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, the Suns loss um, was an example of what I was talking about. Uh, with the Clippers game and that it was, you know, it's kind of, it's the example of a loss that we've seen the Celtics have against talented teams, close games down the stretch the Celtics just playing sort of sloppy, ugly basketball. Um, yeah. I'm with you. The way they slowed it down. Uh, that's the formula against the Celtics. Uh, we've seen teams have success that way against them. I, I think that's really what the heat did last year. And um, yeah, I just, I, for me, it was disappointing because it was, if you won that game, it really doesn't matter what happens in the Utah game. You, you've, you've won three out of five on the West, uh, including a win against the Clippers. Um, it, it just would have, I think, you know, put a really good vibe around the team. and would have made you feel really good about the, the West Coast trip. Now, again, if you win tonight, Tuesday against the Jazz, you still have that. But it just puts all the focus on that game tonight. So it just was disappointing because I thought it was a chance for them to you know, have a really good, you know, back-to-back really strong wins. So that was tough. But for, overall, for my negative, uh, I'm still looking at Kemba Walker. Um, again, I know he he had a decent game against the Clippers, but this was another one of those games where it started to go wrong for him and it just kept going wrong. And and, and I mentioned this last week that, you know, for a guy that was so clutch at UConn and has had so many clutch moments in the NBA, admittedly with a bad team in the Hornets, um, you know, Kemba Walker seems to, he, he can really get down on himself and sort of fold in some of these big spots and uh, he just, you see him hold his head down, not very good body language. And I feel bad for him because he's seems like a great guy. And I know he's trying really hard and the injury was what it was, you know, maybe he's back from it totally. Maybe it's not, uh, but just the way he plays in some of these games, 
And uh, I, I just don't know. I'm starting to have serious doubts uh, that he can be the legitimate third piece or third wheel of this big three with the Celtics um, to make them good enough. Um, I, I'm not sure if it really has it. I don't, I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, I think we all, once he came back, kind of knew we had to be patient with Kemba just because of the type of injury it was. And, you know, a knee injury with a player that dynamic who relies on, you know, cutting and pulling up so much is going to take some time. And he mentioned that in his first came back that, you know, it's going to take me a bit to find the rhythm. And now that we're kind of, he's like almost 10 games back in, I personally thought after he had that 24 point showing against the Clippers that also included a couple clutch moments, I thought that was going to be his game where he's like, Oh, I'm back now. You know, like this is like, I'm only taking off from here. So to follow up that great showing against the Clippers with, you know, 14 points, four for 20 against the Suns, who aren't like an elite defensive team by any means was pretty disappointing just because, you know, He's such a streaky player and he strings these performances together, at least when he's, you know, really rolling. So um, I don't know if full on concern has come in for me yet, but like, if, you know, if we see this a couple more times over the next three, four games, then it's, it's going to start building in for sure. Yeah. And it just, it puts them in this tough spot where he, again, I mentioned this a lot last week. He's not going to give you anything defensively, at least not enough to be a difference maker. So if he's going to be on the floor in these big spots. He has to deliver. And if he's not scoring, then, I mean, I don't know if Brad Stevens is going to take him off the floor because how do you take your, you know, your hundred plus million dollar point guard off the court late in the fourth quarter. But I don't know. I mean, if, 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 if he keeps struggling like this, I don't know, maybe Stevens will have to do that once Marcus Smart is back. I don't know. We'll see what the lineups look like, but it's just, you know, I guess the only thing that I would say about it is with Kemba at this point, it seems like you can tell early he either is hot from the start and he stays hot or he's cold and he never recovers. So if he gets off to a slow start, I guess just recognize it and maybe don't play him as much. I'm not sure. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's the body language to me that is the most concerning because he just gets really down on himself and it seems to prevent him from pulling himself out of it. Um, it's weird. Oh, you know, I'm not writing him off yet, but it's just something I'm definitely monitoring uh, as we go forward here to see if it gets any better. Um, but if it doesn't get any better, you have to believe the Celtics will, if they believe in this team and they believe that they are championship worthy uh, and they might or championship caliber and they might be uh, maybe not yet, but they're, they're if they think they're close enough, uh, perhaps Danny Angel do something on the trade market. They have the trade exception that we've talked about. Um, you know, whether that's to find a guard uh, to, to sort of help Walker or stabilize the backcourt death, uh, or if it's something else. Um, but the Celtics were mentioned in trade, trade rumors again this week, as they seemingly are every week, uh, with, I believe, executives or sources around the NBA telling, uh, I'm not sure who it was, Adam, maybe you can let me know, or I think it might have been Ian Connor. But either way, the word is that the Celtics are, quote, up to something on the trade market. Uh, what, what do you make of this talk, Adam? Yeah, it was the ringers, Kevin O'Connor, who mentioned it. And um, I agree with you. My only thing is that I, it's going to be tough for Danny Ainge, where I think it's like, if you're going to really make that big of a move that, you know, or I'm talking like seismic, then you might be looking like beyond this year and for the future. Like if we're looking at a Bradley Beal trade, I'm not sure if they're contending right away this season. That's a case where it's like, all right, we get a new wingman for Jason Tatum and then we kind of completely retool for like seasons beyond. 
but I am pretty interested in kind of these mid-tier guys that um, they could target. Um, one that I personally like, others might not be, is Harrison Barnes, just because it's a guy that will, one, you can fit him underneath uh, the trade exception. He's not going to take away shots from Brown and Tatum, and he's a veteran 3 and D guy who's, you know, he's he's not going to lose any games. You know, he's, he's a pretty sure-handed veteran. Um, so I think that's a guy that I wouldn't mind them going after for sure. Well, he has championship experience too. Too, yeah, that's right. So and you know they can never get enough of that, and I think that's one of the things that we like that Tristan Thompson brings to the Celtics is he has that sort of championship pedigree, even though that was LeBron James and Kyrie Irving winning a title, not so much Tristan Thompson. But regardless, he's been in those stages and he knows what it's like. And and Harrison Barnes has as well. So I agree with you that he could be um, a good fit. Uh, another one that we've seen mentioned is P.J. Tucker from the Rockets. I've often said that P.J. Tucker is like the final evolution of Grant Williams. So I, I, I never really know what to make of Grant Williams. Like one week he looks like he's done. Uh, I think this on the West Coast trip, he's played pretty well. He's played better defense. He shot better. I would trade him straight up for P.J. Tucker. I don't know if the money works. I don't know if the Rockets would do it, uh, but I would do it. And that's all I really care about. Uh, I see Aaron Gordon mentioned a lot with the Celtics. I don't know about you. Uh, what do you think about that, Adam? Because I don't like it. I think there's too much redundancy. I'm not sure Aaron Gordon fills the need uh, that the Celtics have that's preventing them from being a championship team. Yeah, I understand there's only so many players who can come and help and come with this elk. But the reason I have reservations about Gordon is that if you're making a big move for this season, it's to be made you know, with the idea that you're going to win a championship or at least contend. And I'm just not sure if Aaron Gordon's a winning player. I mean, the, the Magic have been a fringe playoff team for a handful of seasons it's that he's been there. And I also think Aaron Gordon's one of those players who thinks he's a lot better than he really is. And I think yeah. that could potentially mess with the flow of what the Celtics have here. Because, you know, the Celtics kind of have their identity. Obviously, this is go like the offense goes through Brown and Tatum. And I think Gordon could disrupt that a little bit. So that one, I'd, and especially what you'd have to give up to get him, I'd be pretty iffy about that trade. Yeah, I would too. I mean, I think he's a good player, um, but I just doesn't seem like he's any sort of franchise cornerstone or a player that will put you over the top. Um, you know, if he was that good, the magic would be better. Um, yeah, I, I like that he's he's added that outside shot to his game. He's He's really athletic. Obviously, he can finish uh, finish at the rim. He can play high above the rim. Um, he's certainly an impact player, and he has good scoring numbers. I just It's not what the Celtics need. Um, I know the NBA today is all about athletic wings with length uh, that can make you very diverse on defense. Um, and, it's, you know, we saw what Steve Kerr said about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, that they are the prototypes of what NBA teams are looking for. And Aaron Gordon is also to an extent, he's not a perfect comp to those two players, but again, he's a, he's a long athletic wing uh, that can play outside the arc as well as close to the rim uh, and defend multiple positions. But I just don't think he does it at that high of a level. Um, and again, I just think there are better pieces uh, or, or just other things the Celtics need besides a player like that, even though it would be fun, right? It would be good headlines. Good for us. We could write all kinds of stories at Nesson about it. Um, but I don't, I personally don't see it either. Um, another name that gets mentioned all the time is Miles Turner. I think that the way things played out with the Gordon Hayward trade exception um, or trade to Pacers that never ended up happening, that whole drama, 
sort of eliminates the idea of a Miles Turner trade, but Miles Turner has played really well this season, perhaps proving himself to be better than Danny Ainge initially thought. Um, are you in or out on Miles Turner at this point? Well, one thing on Turner before is just that this could file as a, you know, outdated, let's complain about something. But that's one thing that I think Celtics, a lot of Celtics fans just like didn't understand was that like there is these reports that there was a trade on the table with, you know, Indiana with the Hayward that could have brought Turner here. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, Danny Ainge blew it, this and that. It's like, well, Hayward got to decide where he wanted to go. You know, he just didn't want to go to Indiana. That's how. Oh, you're preaching to the choir. I spent, I kept yelling about that on Twitter. I was offended with the way the Celtics fans and honestly some Celtics media or, or writers in the area reacted to that because there was so much filling in the blanks, so many assumptions made and so much revisionist history going on. And, and no one for a moment considered maybe Gordon Hayward was just going to go to the highest bidder. And maybe he always liked the idea of the Hornets. And so it was just going to happen. Everyone made it seem like, well, it would have happened with the Pacers if Danny Ainge want, or just would have stepped up to the plate and made it happen. But we just don't know that. Yeah, but and as far as the idea of him coming here, I really like it just because I think he's just an all-around better Daniel Tice. You know, a guy that's obviously solid down low and you at least have to respect from the three-point line. Um, and again, like what I don't think Gordon would do is I think you can plug in Turner and he would fit almost seamlessly. And he's been on teams that have, you know, made some noise in the playoffs too. So he has that in his career. But again, it all comes down to how much are you willing to give up? Obviously, Indiana is not going to let him go for cheap. And I'm just not sure what it would take for the Celtics to bring him in. I can't imagine it would be on a bargain, though. Well, speaking of what the Celtics might give up, uh, in that O'Connor piece, he, he didn't really present this as if it was sourced information that Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice are available. But I don't know, uh, personally reading between the lines, just seeing the way he framed the story. It certainly seemed like he knew something, but just didn't want to go all in and say it. Um, but he, he basically suggested that Tristan Thompson and or Daniel Tice could be players that the Celtics look to part with. Uh, with Thompson, the rationale being that he just hasn't really been what the Celtics thought he would be. He's proved not to be a good fit. And maybe another team that thinks he is a better fit would be willing to give you something for him. I don't know if they would give you a piece that is good fit for you or if it would be more of a draft pick deal, not sure. Um, and with Tice, the logic was that perhaps Daniel Tice has, has played himself into a, co a contract that's higher than what the Celtics are willing to pay or that they can afford given their other needs. Um, where do you stand on this, Adam? Would you, are you ready to move on from Thompson uh, and on Tice? Do you think the Celtics should trade him now uh, to avoid having to pay a contract high contract to a player that might not be worth it? Um, I wouldn't lose any sleep over the Celtics losing Thompson. Again, it's just what you said. It's, it could just be a case of where um, Danny H decides like, you know, look, we took a swing and it didn't like, didn't work out. Now I honestly respect that because you see too many times in all of sports where a GM will make, you know, a, a, a mid to high level move and they'll have too much pride about over it where they'll, they'll just ride it out to, like way longer than it should be. So if Danny Ainge sees the potential that the Celtics has, and he believes that, you know, for one way or another, that Thompson is thwarting that movement upward, then yeah, go see what you can get. I just don't know what Tristan Thompson's market would be. It would probably have to be with a team, you know, that just is in the spot where it can take on a big contract just for, you know, moving forward. Um, 
I I can Lakers. Maybe LeBron wants him on the Lakers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe in that way he can be in LA with Chloe. One also just thinking about just like trying to get through the brick wall in LA. That would be Montrez Harrell and Tristan Thompson would be pretty funny if they ever. I mean, that's just two guys that could do like the old like like Dudley Boys wrestling like joint choke slam or <laughs> thing. I mean, they're they're monsters, but um, I. I have a tough time seeing the market for Tice being like that big where the Celtics think they'd have to get out of it now. And with that in mind, I'm saying I'm kind of had reservations about them moving on. Cause like, I'm not trying to say that Daniel Tice is like the second coming of like Hakeem Elijah on, but if you're going to move him, you better hope that you can find someone that's, you know, can fit in right away, like super confident because at a minimum, Tyson's a guy who's been here, knows his role, knows the system. And if you lose him and you're down to like Tristan Thompson and Robert Williams as like your two prominent guys in the front court, you could be in really big trouble. Yeah, agreed. And and for me, I'm not I'm pro Daniel Tice big time. Um, so it would have to be the right kind of deal. And and as for Thompson, I just think that again, he didn't hold up well against Joel Embiid in those two games. But if you, unless you get back a player or somehow acquire another player that is somehow a better interior defensive option than Tristan Thompson, I don't see how you can get rid of him. Because if you move Tristan Thompson and you're left with Daniel Tice and Robert Williams, I mean, you're porked if you have to face Embiid or Giannis. You're right where you were the last couple of seasons where, you know, I think in the past you were better than the Sixers because they were so poorly coached. Um, and they just didn't play a good brand of basketball. I think that's clearly changed. So I think you have to – the, the Embiid threat is far more of a big deal this season than it has been in years past. And if you move Tristan Thompson and just go forward with Tyson and Williams, you I don't know. I don't really see how you have any shot. Um, so I just think for that reason, they just have to hold on to him and, and use him in the right spots. Um, so we'll see. Uh, and as far as the guard depth, I, we, we were going to mention it last week, but we didn't get to get to it. Um, Celtics fans can stop. Uh, hoping to see Isaiah Thomas come back to the Celtics because he, in a tweet last week, said that uh, it's over and that it's not happening, that he tried, uh, and it's just not going to happen. So you can forget about that one, unfortunately. Yeah, and speaking of Celtics fans, just bring it back to the big man uh, before we move on, is that we brought up a couple times of just the several drawbacks of not having fans in attendance this season. Thompson does seem like one of those guys specifically that would have benefited big time from uh, fans being in the stands. I mean, he's such a high energy player that if it's like a tight game in Boston specifically, he seems like the a type of guy that would really feed off the Celtics crowd and, you know, maybe his play would improve from that. But it, again, his play before that hasn't been close enough for you. It could be, you know, he's living up to what we thought he would be when he first came here. No, totally. I, 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 I totally agree with that. I can just see, a big game at the garden close down the stretch where Tristan Thompson gets a couple of big offensive rebounds and puts it back in and goes nuts, pulls the Jersey, pounds the chest. Mike Gorman is freaking out all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I can totally visualize it, hear it in my head. Unfortunately, not in real life because the world is terrible right now. Um, and so real quick, uh, we're going to get touch on the rest of the NBA in one second, but uh, just a quick update. Again, the Celtics are 12 and 10. That's fourth in the Eastern Conference. Um, if the season had ended today, they'd be facing the Pacers in the first round, uh, the team they faced in the first round a couple of seasons ago. Um, it looks like they currently are like a game and a half 
Um, no, a half game actually behind the Nets. So again, way too early to be looking at the standings, but I don't think it's too early to say that at this point, a lot of things are going to have to change if they're going to get to the top. Sixers are 17 and seven. Celtics are 12 and 10. Um, that gap is starting to widen. So we'll see. Um, and, and as for the Celtics schedule ahead, again, the Jazz tonight on Tuesday, then Thursday against the Raptors, uh, Friday against the Pistons, a couple of home games there, then away at the Wizards, and then next week back home against the Nuggets for a huge game. So that Nuggets game uh, is, is going to be a tough one, but with the Raptors, Pistons, and Wizards, a few games there for maybe the Celtics to go on a mini winning streak. So hopefully by the time we, we convene next week, uh, the record's a little bit better. We'll have to see. Uh, okay, so real quick on the NBA, uh, Adam, I know you wanted to touch on uh, Kevin Garnett's comments about, I think he said uh, that NBA players from his era era wouldn't be able to make it today. Yeah, I just thought it was really cool just because so often in every sport, you hear the guys from yesteryear saying how um, the guys today couldn't hang, you know, back then, you know, whether it's football, being like, oh, the games, you know, like not a physical enough like enough now or basketball being like oh these guys just shoot from you know 40 feet out and this and that and Garnett took the complete opposite approach saying that guys of his generation couldn't hang today and he he gave examples which I totally agreed with now he was saying how there's no hand checking allowed and he which is right it's like how do you even play defense against these guys when you're not allowed to use your hands right the pace of play is just so different now where you know you're asked to play lockdown defense on one end, then just make a beeline to the corner on the other end. And you end up like these best guys are playing, you know, 40, 45 minutes a game. And it's just like the amount they're asked to do cardio wise is pretty bonkers. So, yeah, I mean, it's a take that I'm sure not a lot of his fellow 1990s, early 2000s guys will agree with. I feel like Shaq specifically (laughs) saying some dumb stuff about it, but I just thought it was cool that he took a, a take that he knew probably would get some backlash from his, his colleagues and just, you know, went forward with it. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I do think it was cool. Um, and, and leave it to Kevin Garnett to say something like that. And, and I do agree with him, but you know, broader picture, I, I hate comparing errors so much because both things are true. The, the players in Kevin Garnett's era could not make it. it. The players in Kevin Garnett's era, if they just, remained that way if you pulled them from that era and dropped them into this one as the same exact players then no they would not be able to hang and similarly if you took players today and dropped them into the 90s or early 2000s or whatever or the 60s whatever you want to say no they wouldn't be able to hang either because they wouldn't be able to handle getting fouled even a little bit or you know what fouls were back then but i hate that conversation in general because it it just assumes that like if Steph Curry, for instance, was born in 1970 and played in the late 80s, early 90s, that he wouldn't have been developed or trained as in a completely different way, that he wouldn't have been accustomed to what the style of play was back then. And, and vice versa, that if, you know, pick a player out of the 80s or 90s or John or Kevin McHale or something, that if he played now, that he wouldn't have gone going through college and, and, and growing up had developed a more consistent you know, inside outside game or, or, or a three point shot or been more athletic rim running, whatever, all these guys, if they were, you know, they're great basketball players and they're here because they're talented and they love basketball and whatever error they would have been in, they probably would have made it to the NBA in my opinion. 
Yeah, and I was just thinking how funny it would be to watch a game where you fuse the two generations that we're talking about now, just like the 90s and current game. Like, like I think it would take like two or three, like 30-point or 30-foot three-pointers from Curry before Dennis Rodman would just like stand at the spot and like close on him and let him know like, you're not doing this anymore. Like, you know, right. like, he wouldn't let it fly. But I'm totally with you. It's like, it's apples and oranges, obviously same sport, but it might as well be like a different one the way these guys play now. And it just, we're in a time now where you can't just appreciate two things simultaneously. You have to pick which one is better and which one's worse, but uh, it's, it's a pointless debate, but one that's definitely not going to be kept being had moving forward, unfortunately. Yeah. And one thing I definitely know for sure is that LeBron James, LeBron James would clown on anybody in any era and that Michael Jordan would do the exact same, that he would be absolutely clowning on players today. So that's all that really matters. One little LeBron note before we move on to year around the NBA, I thought it was funny that LeBron just managed to insert himself into Brady's Super Bowl glory course post game tweets where it was just like go talk if you know you know it's like okay lebron is like we know yeah, but just let the guy have his moment yeah it's always about yeah always will find a way to be about him never yeah. fails um quick last topic i want to get to before we get out of here uh, some controversy this week a lot of players speaking out against the nba uh reportedly planning to hold to host an all-star game in Atlanta, I believe the date was March 7th. Uh, I'm not sure where the things currently stand, if they're still going forward with it. Uh, but regardless, a lot of players, including Kevin Durant, uh, including LeBron James and others, have said that they don't think it's right, that it's for the it's an event for the fans. And since the fans won't be there, what are we doing? Health and safety risks, all that. Um, Adam, what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan just because, and we talked about it a couple episodes, like I, a couple of changes the NBA made to try to act like they were being so vigilant about, you know, stopping the spread, whether it be no Jersey swaps, the amount of pre and post game interaction with opposing players, you know, acting like they're trying to make all these big changes and then just coming, going the complete opposite direction and being like, Hey, let's get, you know, 30 of the best players into a city where they're all coming from different parts of the country Right. That's and my thing is like, let's fly a bunch of people from a bunch of different areas into this. Right. I mean, you're talking about, you know, almost a player from every team just being, it just, and again, like there, I think the guys that are out, you know, came out against it, were saying it perfectly. Like this is for the fans. Cause if you, if you ask the like an NBA star, they'd probably just want this break. You know, it's like, we want three or four days definitely where we can, you know, just kick back get our bodies. Right. So, yeah. And then another thing I thought was hilarious, too, as far as pretending to care about, you know, protocols and stuff was they were saying, like, you're also allowed to travel to like Puerto Rico, Hawaii, this and that. And it's like, all right, well, it's like pick what side you're going to be on. You know, it's just right. it's a bunch of fence sitting and, you know, playing both sides. So the whole all star thing, every direction was just a mess to me. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the, it's all very stupid. Um, basically, where I'm on it is, uh, if the argument, if, if the logic for not having it is about COVID and health and security, then that's, I mean, that's where it should be, because that's true. Like, there is no sense in having the game, because it's a pointless game. They don't try until the fourth quarter. I personally don't find it to be particularly entertaining anyway. And yeah, it's an unnecessary risk for a bunch of people to take. Um, if they, if the argument is about that, it's, it's for the fans, and the fans aren't going to be there. 
I'm not really buying that because yeah, there's not 27,000 fans in the stands, but there are millions at home watching, which is where the money is made anyway, not in the one arena that night. Um, so that's kind of a, a separate issue. Um, but I'm with you and I'm kind of with the players too. Like we don't need an NBA all-star game this year. Like I'm fine without it. We don't need it. Let's take a few days off. Let all those guys go home and relax and, and pick it up, you know, the next week. Yeah, I, you're definitely right about watching at home, but also like I'm just thinking about say they went through a semi-normal all-star weekend, including like the dunk contest, like I'll pick a player, Aaron Gordon throws down a monstrous dunk and then there's just no one to cheer it on. Like that would be awkward. Be hours upon hours of the NBA being bagged online, you know, so. And really bad tweeting, really like, oh, you know, like memes yeah. or jokes about no fans and it would just be boring and, and corny. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, we'll see how the Celtics do uh, in these next few games. And uh, we'll break it down, all of it down for you next week on the next edition of the Nest and Celtics podcast. I'm Dakota Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Dak Randall. And London, how can people, or Adam London, how can people follow you? Uh, I am at, at underscore Adam London. Uh, so a little pre underscore as opposed to the typical uh, one after the name. Oh, nice. Like it. Different. Uh, all right. Well, anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next week. See ya.